Chapter Twelve of the Castaways of the Flag. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. The Castaways of the Flag by Jules Verne. Chapter Twelve. Enemies in the Promised Land. At seven o'clock next morning. After breakfasting off the remains of supper and drinking a stirrup-cup of palm wine, Fritz and his companions left the hermitage at Everford. They were all in haste and intended to cover the seven and a half miles that lay between the farm and Falconhurst in less than three hours. "'It is possible that our people may be settled now in their dwelling in the air,' Fritz remarked. "'If so, dear,' said Jenny, "'we shall have the joy of meeting them quite an hour sooner.' provided they have not gone into summer quarters on prospect hill frank observed in that case we should be obliged to go back to falsehill point isn't that the cape from which monsieur zermatt must watch for the unicorn captain gould inquired that is the one captain fritz replied and as the corvette must have completed her repairs it will not be long before she reaches the island however that may be the boatswain remarked the best thing we can do, in my opinion, is to start. If there is nobody at Falconhurst, we will go to Rock Castle, and if there is nobody at Rock Castle, we will go to Prospect Hill, or anywhere else. But let us get on the march. Although there was no lack of kitchen utensils and gardening tools at the Hermitage, Fritz had looked in vain for any sporting guns and ammunition. When his father and brothers came to the farm, they brought their guns, but never left them there. However, there was nothing to be afraid of in crossing the promised land, since no wild beasts could get through the defile of clues. A cart rode, and how often already had it been rolled by the wagon which the buffaloes and the onager drew, ran between the cultivated fields, now in their full vegetation, and the woods in their full verdure. The sight of all this prosperity gladdened the eye. Captain Gould and the boatswain, and James and Susan Walston, who saw this district for the first time, were amazed. Most certainly might colonists come here. It could support hundreds. The island as a whole could thousands. After marching for an hour and a half, Fritz stopped for a few moments, nearly midway between the hermitage of Eberfurt and Falkenhurst, before a stream which he did not know existed in this part of the district. That is something new, he said. It certainly is, Jenny answered. I do not remember any stream in this place. It is more like a canal, Captain Gould remarked. You are right, Captain, said Fritz. Mr. Walston must have conceived the idea of drawing water from Jackal River to supply Swan Lake and keep it full during the hot weather, which would enable them to irrigate the land round Wood Grange. Yes, Frank went on. It must have been your father, Dolly, who had that notion and carried it out. Oh, said Dolly but I expect your brother Ernest had a finger in the pie. No doubt, our learned Ernest, Fritz agreed. And why not the intrepid Jack, and Monsieur Zermatt, too? Captain Gould inquired. Everybody, then, said Jenny, laughing. Yes, every one of both the families, which now are really one, Fritz answered. The boatswain broke in, as was his way, with a very just remark. If those who cut this canal did well, those who threw a bridge across it deserve quite as much praise. So let us go over and march on. 
They crossed the bridge and entered into the more thickly wooded district, where rose the little stream that ran out near Falconhurst, just below Whale Island. Fritz and Frank listened intently, trying to catch some distant sound of barking or of guns. What was Jack, the enthusiastic sportsman, about, that he was not hunting this fine morning? Game was rising in every direction, scampering away through the brakes and scattering from tree to tree. If the two brothers had had guns, they could have let fly with both barrels over and over again. It seemed to them that fur and feather had never been more plentiful in the district, so plentiful that their companions were genuinely astonished by it. But, besides the twittering of little birds, the call of partridges and bustards, the chattering of parrots and sometimes the howling of jackals were all that could be heard, and to these sounds was never added the report of firearms or the whimper of a dog on the scent. After crossing the Falconhurst River, they only had to go up the right bank as far as the edge of the wood, where grew the gigantic mangrove tree with the aerial dwelling place. A profound silence reigned underneath these immense trees, a silence which awakened vague uneasiness. When Fritz looked at Jenny, he read in her eyes an anxiety for which, however, there was no justification as yet. Frank, too, felt some nervousness, walking on in front and then retracing his steps. This uneasiness was shared by all. In ten minutes they would be at Falconhurst. Ten minutes! Was not that much the same as being there already? It's a sure thing, said the boatswain, who wanted to cheer them up. It's a sure thing that we shall have to go down this fine avenue of yours to Rock Castle. A delay of an hour, that's all. And what's an hour? After so long an absence? They put on pace. A few moments later they came within sight of the edge of the wood, and then of the enormous mangrove tree in the middle of the courtyard, enclosed by palisades fringed with a quick-set hedge. Fritz and Frank ran to the gate contrived in the hedge. The gate was open and had been torn half off its hinges. The two brothers went into the courtyard and stopped beside the little central basin. The place was deserted. Not a sound came from the poultry run or the sheds built against the palisade, although these were generally full of cows and sheep and poultry during the summer season. In the outhouses were various things, boxes and hampers and agricultural implements, all in a disorder very foreign to the careful habits of Madame Zermatt and Mrs. Walston and her daughter. Frank ran to the cattle sheds. There was nothing in them but a few armfuls of hay in the racks. Did it mean that the animals had broken out of the enclosure? Were they straying loose about the country? No, for not one had been seen anywhere near Falconhurst. It was just possible that, for some reason or other, they had been pinned in the other farms, and yet that was hardly an explanation. As has been said, the farmstead of Falconhurst comprised two dwelling places, one built among the branches of the mangrove tree, the other among the roots which were buttressed round its base. Above the latter was a terrace with a railing of bamboo canes, which supported the roof of tarred moss. This terrace covered several rooms, divided by partitions fixed among the roots, and large enough for both families to inhabit them together. This first dwelling was as silent as the outbuildings in the yard. "'Let us go inside,' said Fritz, with trouble in his voice. All followed him, and a cry broke from them, an inarticulate cry, for not one of them could have uttered a word. The furniture was upset. The chairs and tables had been thrown down, the chests opened, the bedding thrown on the floor, the utensils into the corners. 
It was as if the rooms had been given over to pillage for the mere sake of pillage. Of the stores of provisions, generally kept fully supplied at Falconhurst, not a scrap remained. There was no hay in the loft. In the cellar the casks of wine and beer and spirits were empty. There were no weapons except one loaded pistol which the boatswain picked up and thrust in his belt. Yet carbines and guns were always left at Falconhurst during the hunting season. Fritz, Frank, and Jenny stood overwhelmed before this most unexpected disaster. Were things in the same state at Rock Castle and Wood Grange, and Sugar King Grove and Prospect Hill? Of all the farms, had the hermitage of Eberfurt alone been spared by these pillagers? And who were the pillagers? My friends, said Captain Gould, some disasters happen, but it may not be as serious as you fear. No one answered. What answer could Fritz or Frank or Jenny have given? Their hearts seemed broken. They had set foot within the promised land with so much joy, only to find ruin and desolation. But what had happened? Had New Switzerland been invaded by a band of those pirates who were so numerous at that period in the Indian Ocean? Were the Andamans and Nicobars offered them a safe place of refuge? Had the Zermatts and Wolstons been able to leave Rock Castle in time and retire elsewhere, or even flee from the island? Had they fallen into the hands of the pirates, or had they lost their lives in an attempt at self-defense? And, one last question, had all this happened a few months ago? or a few weeks ago, or a few days ago, and would it have been possible to prevent it if the unicorn had arrived within the time arranged? Jenny made a brave effort to keep back her tears, while Susan and Dolly sobbed together. Frank wanted to rush to find his father and mother and brothers, and Fritz was obliged to hold him back. Captain Gould and the boatswain went out several times to examine the ground near the palisade, but came back without having found anything to throw light on the matter. Some decision, however, had to be arrived at. Was it better to remain at Falconhurst and await events there, or to go down to Rock Castle ignorant of how matters stood? Should they make a reconnaissance, leaving the women and Bob in James's protection, while Fritz, Frank, and Captain Gould, and John Block went to investigate either along the shore or across country? In any case, they had to dispel this uncertainty, even though the truth should leave them without hope. Fritz was voicing the general wish when he said, Let us try to get to Rock Castle. And let us go at once, Frank exclaimed. I will come with you, said Captain Gould. And so will I, said John Block. Good, Fritz replied. But James must stay with Jenny, Dolly, and Susan, who will be out of harm's way at the top of Falconhurst. Let us all go up first, John Block suggested. And from there, perhaps we shall see... It was only reasonable to do that before going to reconnoitre outside. From the aerial dwelling place, and especially from the top of the mangrove tree, the view extended over much of the promised land and the sea to the east, and also over nearly eight miles of coast between Deliverance Bay and False Hope Point. Up, up, Fritz answered to the boatswain's suggestion. The habitation among the branches of the tree had escaped the general devastation, thanks to the dense foliage of the mangrove, which almost concealed it from view. The door giving access to the winding staircase inside the trunk bore no marks of violence. Frank found it shut, and wrenched at it so that the lock bolt came away. In a few moments they had all climbed up the staircase, lighted by narrow loopholes in the tree, 
and set foot on the circular balcony, which was almost completely screened behind a curtain of leaves. The instant Fritz and Frank reached the platform, they hurried into the first room. Neither this room nor the rooms next it presented the least sign of disturbance. The bedding was all in good condition, the furniture all in place, so it was obvious that the original falcon's nest had been respected. The marauders could not have found the door below. The foliage had become so very much thicker in the course of these twelve years that it would have been as impossible to see the dwelling from the yard below as it was from the edge of the neighboring wood. It really looked as if Madame Zermatt and Mrs. Walston had set everything in order only the day before. There were preserved meat, flour, rice, preserves, and liquor, enough of everything to last for a week, in accordance with the usual custom observed at Falconhurst as at the other farms. Nobody now, of course, gave a thought to the question of food. What occupied their minds to the exclusion of all else, filling them with despair, was the deserted condition of Falconhurst in the height of the summer, and the pillage of the lower dwelling. Directly they returned to the balcony, Fritz and the boatswain clambered up to the top of the mangrove tree to get as wide a view as possible. To north ran the line of coast bounded by False Hope Point at the little hill where the villa of Prospect Hill stood. Nothing suspicious could be detected in this part of the district. To west, beyond the canal connecting Jekyll River with Swan Lake, spread the country watered by the little Falconhurst River, through which Fritz and his companions had walked after they had crossed the bridge. This was as deserted as the country which ran still further to the west as far as a defile of clues. To east, the vast arm of the sea spread out between False Hope Point and Cape East, behind which lay Unicorn Bay. There was not a sail to be seen at sea, not a boat along the shore. Nothing was visible but the vast plain of water from which, to northeast, projected, the reef upon which the landlord had struck long ago. Turning towards the south, the eye could only see, about two miles and a half away, the entrance into Deliverance Bay, near the wall of rock which sheltered the dwelling of Rock Castle. Of that house, and its annexes, nothing was visible except the green tops of the trees in the kitchen garden, and, a little more to the southwest, a line of light which indicated the course of Jackal River. Fritz and John Block came down to the balcony again, after spending some ten minutes in the first examination. Making use of the telescope, which Messieurs or Matt always kept at Falconhurst, they had looked carefully in the direction of Rock Castle and the shore. No one was to be seen there. It seemed that the two families could not be on the island now. But it was possible that Messieurs or Matt and his people had been led by the marauders to some farmstead in the Promised Land, or even to some other part of New Switzerland. To this suggestion, however, Captain Gould raised an objection which it was difficult to meet. These marauders, whoever they may be, he said, must have come by sea, must even have landed in Deliverance Bay. Now we have observed none of their boats. The conclusion would seem to be that they have gone away again, perhaps taking... He stopped. No one ventured to make answer. Certainly Rock Castle did not seem to be inhabited now. From the top of the tree no smoke could be seen rising above the fruit trees in the kitchen garden. Captain Gould then suggested that the two families might have left New Switzerland voluntarily, since the unicorn had not arrived at the appointed time. How could they have gone? Fritz asked, 
who would have been glad to have this hope to cling to. Aboard some ship that came to these waters, Captain Gould replied, one of the ships which must have been sent from England, or perhaps another vessel which arrived off the island in the ordinary chances of navigation. This theory was possible, and yet there were many grave reasons to suppose that the desertion of New Switzerland was not due to any such circumstance. Fritz spoke again. We must not hesitate any longer. Let us go and look. Yes, let us go, said Frank. Fritz was just preparing to go down again when Jenny stopped him. Smoke, she said. I think I can see smoke rising above Rock Castle. Fritz seized the telescope and turned it towards the south. For more than a minute his eye stayed glued to the instrument. Jenny was right. Smoke was passing across the curtain of green, above the rocks which enclosed Rock Castle to the rear. They are there, they are there, cried Frank, and we ought to have been with them already. This assertion nobody denied. They all had such dire need to recover hope that everything was forgotten. The solitude that lay around Falkenhurst, the pillage of the yard, the absence of the domestic animals, the empty sheds, the ruin of the rooms at the foot of the mangrove tree. But cold reason came back, to Captain Gould and John Block, at least. Manifestly, Rock Castle was occupied at this moment. The smoke proved that. But might it not be occupied by the marauders? At any rate, it would be necessary to approach it with the utmost caution. Perhaps it would be best not to go along the avenue which led to Jackal River. If they went across fields, and, as much as possible, from wood to wood, they might have a chance of getting to the drawbridge without being sighted. At last, as all were getting ready to leave the aerial dwelling, Jenny lowered the telescope, with which she had been scanning the coast of the bay. And the proof that both families are still here, she said, is that the flag is flying over Shark's Island. The white and red flag, the colors of New Switzerland, was indeed waving over the battery. But did that make it absolutely certain that Monsieur Zermatt and Mr. Walston and their wives and children had not left the island? Did not the flag always float at that spot? They would not argue the point. Everything would be explained at Rock Castle, and before an hour had passed. Let us go, let us go, said Frank again, and he turned towards the staircase. Stop, stop, the boatswain suddenly said, lowering his voice. They watched him crawl along the balcony, to the side overlooking Deliverance Bay. Then he moved the leaves aside, put his head through them, and drew it back precipitately. What is the matter? Fritz asked. Savages, John Block replied. End of chapter 12. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona.